Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I am your editor, producer, host, and all-around person who does... Thank you for listening. As always, the show is brought to you by bunnieslippers.com. I just have to say, the Highland Cow Slippers continue to keep my feet warm as I record. Oh man. Woo, baby. And hopefully in October, I'll be throwing a pair out into... Uh, some panel group at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Hopefully that's going on in October. I hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope everyone's staying clean. And when you're out and about, staying sterile. I don't know. Hey, just keep your brain going. Listen to some Oz. <coughs> I, I wonder what happens if, if uh, you sync uh, this podcast up with... Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, or who? Maybe if you uh, play the podcast while you watch Live at Pompeii. I don't know. Anyway, so <laughs> um, I, I don't mean to laugh at my own jokes, but there's no one else here too. So yeah, um, hope you checked out and enjoyed David Heath talking about Wizard of Oz and pop culture. And coming up soon, we're going to have Ken Height talking about The Wizard of Oz. I should have done a special where I put them together, but I didn't think about that. Oh, man. I fell down some stairs the other day. I hurt my ankle and my wrist. It's... I'm, I'm finally getting this all out at the last minute, but yeah. So, hey, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy this week. This is the final week of Oz. This is the fifth story of... Dorothy Gale? Yeah, Dorothy Gale. Okay, so... But there's a ton more Oz books out there. There is seriously an insane amount of Oz books. They kept writing them. Not just... Uh, like, um, kind of like the Oz... Kind of like the Oz Society approves fan fiction kind of stuff. It's a ton of stuff out there. I, I, I recommend checking out the artwork at least. It's, it's very cool, interesting stuff. And... Yeah, Wizard of Oz, it's fun, it's, I enjoy it, Hope, oh, hopefully you're enjoying it, and you've made it through the five books, I can't remember what next month is, but it's gonna be fun, and also, don't forget to check out People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, coming out on Tuesday of this week, and we're gonna be talking about a certain region of France that Clark Ashton Smith wrote about, and what else can we think? Yeah, no, remember to subscribe, listen, uh, tell your friends about it, and that's the best way you can help the show is rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere else that podcasts are found because that's what's helpful. Here we go. Chapter 13, How the General Talked to the King When General Guff returned to the cavern of the Gnome King, His Majesty asked, Well, what luck? Will the Whimsies join us? They will, answered the General. They will fight for us with all their strength and cunning. Good, exclaimed the king. What reward did you promise them? Your majesty is to use the magic belt to give each whimsy a large, fine head in place of the small one he is now obliged to wear. I agree to that, said the king. That is good news, Guff, and it makes me feel more certain of the conquest of Oz. But I have other news for you, announced the general. Good or bad? Good, your majesty. Then I will hear it, said the king with interest. The Growlywogs will join us. No, cried the astonished king. 
Yes, indeed, said the general. I have their promise. But what reward do they demand? inquired the king suspiciously, for he knew how greedy the Growlywogs were. They are to take a few of the Oz people for their slaves, replied Guff. He did not think it necessary to tell Roquat that the Growlywogs demanded twenty thousand slaves. It would be time enough for that when Oz was conquered. A very reasonable request, I am sure, remarked the king. I must congratulate you, Guff, upon the wonderful success of your journey. That is not all, said the general proudly. The king seemed astonished. Speak out, sir, he commanded. I have seen the first and foremost phantasm of the mountain of Fantastico, and he will bring his people to assist us. What? cried the king. The phantasms? You don't mean it, Guff. It is true, declared the general proudly. The king became thoughtful and his brows wrinkled. I'm afraid, Guff, he said rather anxiously. That the first and foremost may prove as dangerous to us as to the Oz people. If he and his terrible band come down from the mountains, they may take the notion to conquer the gnomes. Ah, that is a foolish idea, retorted Guff irritably. He knew in his heart that the king was right. The first and foremost is a particular friend of mine and will do us no harm. Why, when I was there, He even invited me into his house. The general neglected to tell the king how he had been jerked into the hut of the first and foremost by means of the brass hoop. So Roquat the Red looked at his general admiringly and said, You are a wonderful gnome, Guff. I'm sorry I did not make you my general before. But what reward did the first and foremost demand? Nothing at all. Replied Guff. Even the magic belt itself could not add to his powers of sorcery. All the Phanfasms wish is to destroy the Oz people who are good and happy. This pleasure will amply repay them for assisting us. When will they come? asked Roquat, half fearfully. When the tunnel is completed, said the general. We are nearly halfway under the desert now, announced the king. And that is fast work, because the tunnel has to be drilled through solid rock. But after we have passed the desert, it will not take us long to extend the tunnel to the walls of the Emerald City. Well, whenever you are ready, we shall be joined by the Whimsies, the Growly Wogs, and the Fanfasms, said Guff. So the conquest of Oz is assured without a doubt. Again, the king seemed thoughtful. I'm almost sorry we did not undertake the conquest alone, said he. All of these allies are dangerous people, and they may demand more than you have promised them. It might have been better to have conquered Oz without any outside assistance. We could not do it, said the general positively. Why not, Guff? You know very well. You have had one experience with the Oz people, and they defeated you. That was because they rolled eggs at us, replied the king with a shudder. My gnomes cannot stand eggs any more than I can myself. They are poison to all who live underground. That is true enough, agreed Guff. But we might have taken the Oz people by surprise and conquered them before they had a chance to get any eggs. 
our former defeat was due to the fact that the girl Dorothy had a yellow hen with her. I do not know whatever became of that hen, but I believe there are no hens at all in the land of Oz, and so there could be no eggs there. On the contrary, said Guff, there are now hundreds of chickens in Oz, and they lay heaps of those dangerous eggs. I met a goshawk on my way home, and the bird informed me that he had lately been to Oz to capture and devour some of the young chickens, but they are protected by magic, so the hawk did not get a single one of them. That is a very bad report, said the king nervously. Very bad indeed. My gnomes are willing to fight, but they simply can't face hen's eggs, and I don't blame them. They won't need to face them, replied Guff. I'm afraid of eggs myself, and don't propose to take any chances of being poisoned by them. My plan is to send the Whimsies through the tunnel first, and then the Growlywogs and the Fanfasms. By the time we gnomes get there, the eggs will all be used up, and we may then pursue and capture the inhabitants at our leisure. <sighs> Perhaps you are right, returned the king with a dismal sigh. But I want it distinctly understood that I claim Ozma and Dorothy as my own prisoners. They are rather nice girls, and I do not intend to let any of those dreadful creatures hurt them or make them their slaves. When I have captured them, I will bring them here and transform them into china ornaments to stand on my mantle. They will look very pretty, Dorothy on one end of the mantle and Ozma on the other and I shall take great care to see they are not broken when the maids dust them. Very well, Your Majesty. Uh, do what you will with the girls, for all I care. Now that our plans are arranged, and we have the three most powerful bands of evil spirits in the world to assist us, let us make haste to get the tunnel finished as soon as possible. It will be ready in three days, promised the king, and hurried away to inspect the work and see that the gnomes kept busy. End of chapter 13 Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying Emerald City of Oz. And just a reminder, it really helps if you... You don't have to donate money, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go to wherever you find this show and just review it. Give it a couple of stars. Give it, well, more than a couple of stars. I mean, at least three or four. And, you know, always say something not always. Jeez, I don't want to tell you what to do. But say something nice. I don't know. There's people who don't like the first three minutes and are, like, really mean about it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not... Anyway, just, just, it helps the show and it gets me money for advertising so I don't have to do this in the middle of the show. All right. Thank you very much and hope you enjoy the next 15 to 20 minutes left of the show. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. How the Wizard Practiced Sorcery Where next? asked the wizard when they had left the town of Fuddlecumjig, and the sawhorse had started back along the road. Why, Ozma laid out this trip, replied Dorothy, and she advised us to see the rigmaroles next, and then visit the Tin Woodman. That sounds good, said the wizard, but what road do we take to get to the rigmaroles? I don't know exactly, returned the little girl, but it must be somewhere just southwest of here. 
"'Then why need we go way back to the crossroads?' asked the shaggy man. "'We might save a lot of time by branching off here.' "'There isn't any path,' asserted Uncle Henry. "'Then we'd better go back to the signposts and make sure of our way,' decided Dorothy. But after they had gone a short distance farther, the sawhorse, who had overheard their conversation, stopped and said, "'Here is a path.' "'Sure enough.' A dim path seemed to branch off from the road they were on, and it led across pretty green meadows and past leafy groves straight toward the southwest. "'That looks like a good path,' said Omby Amby. "'Why not try it?' "'All right,' answered Dorothy. "'I'm anxious to see what the rickamarolls are like, and this path ought to take us there the quickest way.' No one made any objection to this plan. So the sawhorse turned into the path, which proved to be nearly as good as the one they had taken to get to the Fuddles. At first they passed a few retired farmhouses, but soon these scattered dwellings were left behind and only the meadows and the trees were before them. But they rode along in cheerful contentment, and Aunt Em got into an argument with Belina about the proper way to raise chickens. "'I don't care to contradict you,' said the yellow hen with dignity. "'But I have an idea I know more about chickens than human beings do.' "'Pshaw!' replied Aunt Em. "'I've raised chickens for nearly forty years, Billina, "'and I know you've got to starve em to make em lay lots of eggs "'and stuff em if you want good broilers.' "'Broilers!' exclaimed Billina in horror. "'Broil my chickens?' "'Why, that's what they're for, ain't it?' asked Aunt Em, astonished. "'No, Aunt, not in Oz,' said Dorothy. "'People do not eat chickens here. You see, Belina was the first hen that was ever seen in this country, and I brought her here myself. Everybody liked her and respected her, so the Oz people wouldn't any more eat her chickens than they would eat Belina.' "'Well, I declare,' gasped Aunt Em. "'How about the eggs?' "'Oh, if we have more eggs than we want to hatch, we allow people to eat them,' said Belina. "'Indeed, I am very glad the Oz folks like our eggs, for otherwise they would spoil.' "'This certainly is a queer country,' sighed Aunt Em. "'Excuse me,' called the sawhorse. "'The path has ended, and I'd like to know which way to go.' They looked around, and sure enough there was no path to be seen. "'Well,' said Dorothy, "'we're going southwest, and it seems just as easy to follow that direction without a path as with one.' "'Certainly,' answered the sawhorse. "'It is not hard to draw the wagon over the meadow. I only want to know where to go.' "'There's a forest over there across the prairie,' said the wizard, "'and it lies in the direction we are going. Make straight for the forest, sawhorse, and you're bound to go right.' So the wooden animal trotted on again, and the meadow grass was so soft under the wheels that it made easy riding. But Dorothy was a little uneasy at losing the path, because now there was nothing to guide them. No houses were to be seen at all, so they could not ask their way of any former, and although the land of Oz was always beautiful wherever one might go, this part of the country was strange to all the party. "'Perhaps we're lost,' suggested Aunt Em, after they had proceeded quite a way in silence. "'Never mind,' said the shaggy man. "'I've been lost many a time, and so has Dorothy, 
and we've always been found again. But we may get hungry, remarked Ambi Ambi. That is the worst of getting lost in a place where there are no houses near. We had a good dinner at Fuddletown, said Uncle Henry, and that will keep us from starving to death for a long time. No one ever starved to death in Oz, declared Dorothy positively, but people may get pretty hungry sometimes. The wizard said nothing, and he did not seem especially anxious. The sawhorse was trotting along briskly, yet the forest seemed farther away than they had thought when they first saw it. So it was nearly sundown when they finally came to the trees, but now they found themselves in a most beautiful spot, the wide-spreading trees being covered with flowering vines and having soft mosses underneath them. This will be a good place to camp, said the wizard, as the sawhorse stopped for further instructions. Camp? they all echoed. Certainly, asserted the wizard. It will be dark before very long, and we cannot travel through this forest at night. So let us make a camp here and have some supper, and sleep until daylight comes again. They all looked at the little man in astonishment, and Aunt Em said with a sniff, A pretty camp we'll have, I must say. I suppose you intend us to sleep under the wagon? And chew grass for our supper, added the shaggy man, laughing. But Dorothy seemed to have no doubts and was quite cheerful. It's lucky we have the wonderful wizard with us, she said, because he can do most anything he wants to. Oh, yes, I forgot we had a wizard, said Uncle Henry, looking at the little man curiously. I didn't, chirped Billina contentedly. The wizard smiled and climbed out of the wagon, and all the others followed him. In order to camp, said he, the first thing we need is tents. Will someone please lend me a handkerchief? The shaggy man offered him one, and Aunt Em another. He took them both and laid them carefully upon the grass near to the edge of the forest. Then he laid his own handkerchief down, too, and, standing a little back from them, he waved his left hand toward the handkerchiefs and said, Tents of canvas, white as snow, let me see how fast you grow. Then, Lo, and behold, the handkerchiefs became tiny tents, and as the travelers looked at them, the tents grew bigger and bigger, until, in a few minutes, each one was large enough to contain the entire party. This, said the wizard, pointing to the first tent, is for the accommodation of the ladies. Dorothy, you and your aunt may step inside and take off your things. Everyone ran to look inside the tent. and they saw two pretty white beds, all ready for Dorothy and Aunt Em, and a silver roost for Billina. Rugs were spread upon the grassy floor, and some camp chairs and a table completed the furniture. Well, 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 this beats anything I ever saw heard of, exclaimed Aunt Em, and she glanced at the wizard almost fearfully, as if he might be dangerous because of his great powers. Oh, Mr. Wizard! How did you manage to do it? asked Dorothy. It's a trick Glinda the Sorceress taught me, and it is much better magic than I used to practice in Omaha, or when I first came to Oz, he answered. When the good Glinda found I was to live in the Emerald City always, she promised to help me, because she said the Wizard of Oz ought to be a clever wizard, 
and not a humbug, so we have been much together, and I am learning so fast that I expect to be able to accomplish some really wonderful things in time. You've done it now, declared Dorothy. These tents are just wonderful. But come and see the men's tent, said the wizard. So they went to the second tent, which had shaggy edges because it had been made from the shaggy man's handkerchief, and found that completely furnished also. It contained four neat beds for Uncle Henry, Omby Amby, the Shaggy Man, and the Wizard, and there was a soft rug for Toto to lie upon. The third tent, explained the Wizard, is our dining room and kitchen. They visited that next, and found a table and dishes in the dining tent with plenty of those things necessary to use for cooking. The Wizard carried out a big kettle and set it swinging on a crossbar before the tent. While he was doing this, Omby Amby and the Shaggy Man brought a supply of twigs from the forest, and then they built a fire underneath the kettle. Now, Dorothy, said the wizard, smiling, I expect you to cook our supper. But there's nothing in the kettle, she cried. Are you sure? inquired the wizard. I didn't see anything put in it, and I'm almost sure it was empty when you brought it out, she replied. Nevertheless, said the little man, winking slyly at Uncle Henry, you will do well to watch our supper, my dear, and see that it doesn't boil over. Then the men took some pails and went into the forest to search for a spring of water, and while they were gone, Aunt Em said to Dorothy, I believe the wizard is fooling us. I saw the kettle myself, and when he hung it over the fire, there wasn't a thing in it but air. Don't worry. "'remarked Bellina, confidently, as she nestled in the grass before the fire. "'You'll find something in the kettle when it's taken off, "'and it won't be poor innocent chickens, either.' "'Your hen has very bad manners, Dorothy,' said Aunt Em, "'looking somewhat disdainfully at Bellina. "'It seems too bad she ever learned how to talk.' "'There might have been another unpleasant quarrel between Aunt Em and Bellina,' had not the men returned just then with their pails filled with clear, sparkling water. The wizard told Dorothy that she was a good cook, and he believed their supper was ready. So Uncle Henry lifted the kettle from the fire and poured its contents into a big platter, which the wizard held for him. The platter was fairly heaped with a fine stew, smoking hot, with many kinds of vegetables and dumplings and a rich, delicious gravy. The wizard triumphantly placed the platter upon the table in the dining room, and then they all sat down in camp chairs to the feast. There were several other dishes on the table, all carefully covered, and when the time came to remove these covers, they found bread and butter, cakes, cheese, pickles, and fruits, including some of the luscious strawberries of Oz. No one ventured to ask a question as to how these things came there. They contented themselves by eating heartily the good things provided, and Toto and Bellina had their full share, you may be sure. After the meal was over, Aunt Em whispered to Dorothy, "'That may have been magic food, my dear, and for that reason perhaps it won't be very nourishing.' "'but I'm willing to say it tasted as good as anything I ever ate.' "'Then she added in a louder voice, "'Who's going to do the dishes?' "'No one, madam,' answered the wizard. "'The dishes have done themselves.' 
La sakes! ejaculated the good lady, holding up her hands in amazement. For sure enough, when she looked at the dishes they had a moment before left upon the table, she found them all washed and dried and piled up into neat stacks. End of chapter 14. Chapter 15 How Dorothy Happened to Get Lost. It was a beautiful evening, so they drew their camp chairs in a circle before one of the tents and began to tell stories to amuse themselves and pass away the time before they went to bed. Pretty soon a zebra was seen coming out of the forest, and he trotted straight up to them and said politely, Good evening, people. The zebra was a sleek little animal and had a slender head, a stubby mane, and a paintbrush tail very like a donkey's. His neatly shaped white body was covered with regular bars of dark brown, and his hoofs were delicate as those of a deer. "'Good evening, friend Zebra,' said Ambi Ambi, in reply to the creature's greeting. "'Can we do anything for you?' "'Yes,' answered the Zebra. "'I should like you to settle a dispute that has long been a bother to me as to whether there is more water or land in the world.' "'Who are you disputing with?' asked the wizard. "'With a soft-shell crab,' said the zebra. "'He lives in a pool where I go to drink every day, "'and he is a very impertinent crab, I assure you. "'I have told him many times that the land is much greater in extent than the water, "'but he will not be convinced. "'Even this very evening, when I told him he was an insignificant creature "'who lived in a small pool,' He asserted that the water was greater and more important than the land. So, seeing your camp, I decided to ask you to settle the dispute for once and all, that I may not be further annoyed by this ignorant crab. When they had listened to this explanation, Dorothy inquired, Where is the soft-shell crab? Not far away, replied the zebra. If you will agree to judge between us, I will run and get him. "'Run along, then,' said the little girl. So the animal pranced into the forest and soon came trotting back to them. When he drew near, they found a soft-shell crab clinging fast to the stiff hair of the zebra's head, where it held on by one claw. "'Now then, Mr. Crab,' said the zebra, "'here are the people I told you about, and they know more than you do who lives in a pool, and more than I do who lives in a forest.' for they have been travelers all over the world and know every part of it. "'There is more of the world than Oz,' declared the crab in a stubborn voice. "'That is true,' said Dorothy. "'But I used to live in Kansas in the United States, and I've been to California and to Australia, and so has Uncle Henry.' "'For my part,' added the shaggy man, "'I've been to Mexico and Boston and many other foreign countries.' "'And I,' said the wizard, "'have been to Europe and Ireland.' "'So you see,' continued the zebra, addressing the crab, "'here are people of real consequence "'who know what they are talking about.' "'Then they know there's more water in the world "'than there is land,' asserted the crab in a shrill, petulant voice. "'They know you are wrong to make such an absurd statement.' "'and they will probably think you are a lobster instead of a crab,' retorted the animal. "'At this taunt, the crab reached out its other claw and seized the zebra's ear, 
and the creature gave a cry of pain and began prancing up and down, trying to shake off the crab which clung fast. Stop pinching! cried the zebra. You promised not to pinch if I would carry you here. And you promised to treat me respectfully, said the crab, letting go the ear. Well, haven't I? demanded the zebra. No, you called me a lobster, said the crab. Ladies and gentlemen, continued the zebra, please pardon my poor friend, because he is ignorant and stupid, and does not understand. Also, the pinch of his claw is very annoying. So pray tell him that the world contains more land than water, and when he has heard your judgment, I will carry him back and dump him into his pool, where I hope he will be more modest in the future. But we cannot tell him that, said Dorothy gravely, because it would not be true. What? exclaimed the zebra in astonishment. Do I hear you aright? The soft-shell crab is correct, declared the wizard. There is considerably more water than there is land in the world. Impossible, protested the zebra. Why, I can run for days upon the land and find but little water. Did you ever see an ocean? asked Dorothy. Never, admitted the zebra. There is no such thing as an ocean in the land of Oz. Well, there are several oceans in the world, said Dorothy, and people sail in ships upon these oceans for weeks and weeks, and never see a bit of land at all. And the geographies will tell you that all the oceans put together are bigger than all the land put together. At this, the crab began laughing in queer chuckles that reminded Dorothy of the way Bellina sometimes cackled. Now will you give up, Mr. Zebra? it cried jeeringly. Now will you give up? The zebra seemed much humbled. Of course, I cannot read geographies, he said. You could take one of the wizard's school pills, suggested Bellina, and that would make you learned and wise without studying. The crab began laughing again which so provoked the zebra that he tried to shake the little creature off. This resulted in more ear-pinching, and finally Dorothy told them that if they could not behave, they must go back to the forest. "'I'm sorry I asked you to decide this question,' said the zebra crossly. "'So long as neither of us could prove we were right, we quite enjoyed the dispute. But now I can never drink at that pool again without the soft-shell crab laughing at me.' so I must find another drinking place. Do, do you, ignoramus, shouted the crab, as loudly as his little voice would carry. Rile some other pool with your clumsy hooves, and let your betters alone after this. Then the zebra trotted back to the forest, bearing the crab with him, and disappeared amid the gloom of the trees. And as it was now getting dark, the travelers said good night to one another and went to bed. Dorothy awoke just as the light was beginning to get strong next morning, and, not caring to sleep any later, she quietly got out of bed, dressed herself, and left the tent where Aunt Em was yet peacefully slumbering. Outside, she noticed Bellina busily pecking around to secure bugs or other food for breakfast, but none of the men in the other tent seemed awake. So the little girl decided to take a walk in the woods and try to discover some path or road that they might follow when they again started upon their journey. She reached the edge of the forest when the yellow hen came fluttering along and asked where she was going. 
Just to take a walk, Billina, and maybe I'll find some path, said Dorothy. Then I'll go along, decided Billina, and scarcely had she spoken when Toto ran up and joined them. Toto and the yellow hen had become quite friendly by this time, although at first they did not get along well together. Billina had been rather suspicious of dogs, and Toto had had an idea that it was every dog's duty to chase a hen on sight. But Dorothy had talked to them and scolded them for not being agreeable to one another until they grew better acquainted and became friends. I won't say they loved each other dearly, but at least they had stopped quarreling and now managed to get on together very well. The day was growing lighter every minute and driving the black shadows out of the forest, so Dorothy found it very pleasant walking under the trees. She went some distance in one direction, but not finding a path, presently turned in a different direction. There was no path here either, although she advanced quite a way into the forest, winding here and there among the trees and peering through the bushes in an endeavor to find some beaten track. I think we'd better go back, suggested the yellow hen after a time. The people will all be up by this time and breakfast will be ready. Very well, agreed Dorothy. Uh, let's see, the camp must be over this way. She had probably made a mistake about that, for after they had gone far enough to have reached the camp, they still found themselves in the thick of the woods. So the little girl stopped short and looked around her, and Toto glanced up into her face with his bright little eyes and wagged his tail as if he knew something was wrong. He couldn't tell much about direction himself, because he had spent his day prowling among the bushes and running here and there, nor had Bellina paid much attention to where they were going, being interested in picking bugs from the moss as they passed. The yellow hen now turned one eye up toward the little girl and asked, "'Have you forgotten where the camp is, Dorothy?' "'Yes,' she admitted. "'Have you, Bellina?' "'I didn't try to remember,' returned Bellina. I no idea you would get lost, Dorothy. It's the thing we don't expect, Bellina, that usually happens, observed the girl thoughtfully. But it's no use standing here. Let's go in that direction, pointing a finger at random. It may be we'll get out of the forest over there. So on they went again, but this time the trees were closer together, and the vines were so tangled that often they tripped Dorothy up. Suddenly a voice cried, Halt! At first Dorothy could see nothing, although she looked around very carefully. But Bellina exclaimed, Well, I declare! What is it? asked the little girl, for Toto began barking at something, and following his gaze she discovered what it was. A row of spoons had surrounded the three, and these spoons stood straight up on their handles and carried swords and muskets. Their faces were outlined in the polished bowls, and they looked very stern and severe. Dorothy laughed at the queer things. "'Who are you?' she asked. "'We're the Spoon Brigade,' said one. "'In the service of His Majesty King Cleaver,' said another. "'And you are our prisoners,' said a third. Dorothy sat down on an old stump and looked at them her eyes twinkling with amusement. "'What would happen,' she inquired, "'if I should set my dog on your brigade?' "'He would die,' 
replied one of the spoons sharply. One shot from our deadly muskets would kill him, big as he is. Don't risk it, Dorothy, advised the yellow hen. Remember, this is a fairy country, yet none of us three happens to be a fairy. Dorothy grew sober at this. Perhaps you're right, Belina, she answered. But how funny it is to be captured by a lot of spoons. I do not see anything very funny about it, declared a spoon. We're the regular military brigade of the kingdom. What kingdom? she asked. Utensia, said he. I've never heard of it before, asserted Dorothy. Then she added thoughtfully, I don't believe Ozma ever heard of Utensia either. Uh, tell me, are you not subjects of Ozma of Oz? We have never heard of her, retorted a spoon. We are subjects of King Cleaver, and obey only his orders, which are to bring all prisoners to him as soon as they are captured. So step lively, my girl, and march with us, or we may be tempted to cut off a few of your toes with our swords. This threat made Dorothy laugh again. She did not believe she was in any danger, but here was a new and interesting adventure. So she was willing to be taken to Utensia, that she might see what King Cleaver's kingdom was like. End of chapter 15